Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to What I Know The Cobblers, Friday Night Lights on the Phantom Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and tonight on a bumper episode, I'm joined by Martin Maloney and Jefferson Lake. Now we're a bit injury depleted, boys, but we're going to have to put on a performance here. We're going to talk about um, the fastest and slowest ever Cobblers players. Now, was it sure? I don't, I don't think this was one of mine. Although we've we had, a, we've had a few discussions over time. I Just think, take it, Martin. It has been, take, take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one you definitely think, right, it's, it's one we've all got a view on. And I, I noticed from um, our traffic on Twitter <laughs> that we're not the only ones. And the funny thing is, a lot of them are from probably our, well, our era covered quite a long time, but yeah. our era back in the glory days of the 90s at the, at, at the county ground where everyone seemed pretty slow to be honest with you. You're eating deal things and you're being shot. We'll, oh. we'll come up in a minute. But... Um, We'll come to your one if, if you can think of any uh, towards the end. But I've got to start off with a guy called Brian or Bob's World, who um, is just very beautiful, poetically, um, poetic description of different levels of slime. It's just fantastic. So he put Stuart Bevan at two speeds, slow and stationary. <laughs> Warren Patmore had three. Slow, slow but looks like he's wearing an overcoat and comatose. <laughs> Just made me laugh. And uh, he put Junior Mendes had a talent for having legs that look like they were moving incredibly fast and he wasn't actually moving. Now, Jeff, that's pretty poetic, isn't it? Yeah, that, I like that. And, and, and this is why, you see, we, we um, as a podcast and as actually a, as a fan base, we eulogise F&E lad because... These players we had at that time were so kind of, um, sort of meat and potatoes type level, division four footballers, weren't they? To get to get this sort of massively exotic player come into that environment, it's just it's still mind blowing now, and that is why he continues to be a, a, a cult figure for us. It's interesting that in the responses we got, we got way more nominations for slowest than we did fastest, which, again, is, is quite telling, I think. <laughs> Poor old Stuart Bevan. He was probably about five by the time he played for us. getting his pension. I feel sorry for Paul. <laughs> Warren Patmore, we talked about him on the pod, I believe. Yeah, I think, I think we talked about Patmore before he's... Um... 
I think it was one of, one of those times, um, late county ground stroke, early six fields, of rotating for a lot of cheap um, players in different areas. And yeah, I think I remember that Patmore was his perm. Yeah. I don't have <laughs> many goals. I remember scoring a goal on the telly for someone before we'd signed him. So his name would start, because when televised games were rare. Yeah. It's, and we'd signed him and he didn't look particularly good for us. But then he went and scored a shed load, I think, for Yeovil, yeah. who he left the yeah. score. Thousands of goals he scored for them. Deborah Marshall has <laughs> come up with a good one. And these, these two both stick in my mind. And I think Ian Gilzean, who, <laughs> another one who had, his, his father was the great Alan Gilzean of yes. yeah. who yeah. had got to such a big name. And that's probably a psychological, you know, programme in itself. We'll put him on a, a programme. But he actually went on after Northampton. He had he was either Northern Ireland or Scotland. He, he played He did better elsewhere than he did. I think. I think pretty slow, don't you reckon? I think he'd had both his knees done. Um, yeah. he, I think in mid twenties he played for us, but he couldn't. He, he couldn't really run or move very much. But yeah. was very powerful. You know, possibly. Um, if you think about one of our heroes in in Bayouac in Benoit, yeah, maybe. In another time, in a better side, you looked at Gilzine's strength, etc., and he could have been a cult hero. As it was, he was just a a passing player of uh, oh god, he could he, you know it's things he couldn't he didn't score any goals either, which didn't help. Um, but yeah, he was just a flawed player as you tended to get, you know, when you were a lower league side. But Dean Trot still one of the best ever cobblers chance. Do you remember that one, Jeff? Yeah, Dino Trot, Trot, Trot. Yeah, he started that season. He he scored something like he scored like four goals in six games or something, didn't he? At the start of that season, and we all thought, here we go. And then yeah, that was kind of it. Really. Watched, his first season, I watched a pre-season friendly at Corby at the old um, Rocky Triangle or whatever it was they played at. Got my Andy, and didn't know any of the names that, but he saw his front two, and it was like, all right, yeah, Trot Grayson. And I remember afterwards saying, yeah, yeah that, that trot looks like he, he could be all right. Uh, Grayson, nothing about him at all. And it was like, of course, one turned out to be a one-season pretty average or so striker who turned a contract down and then I assume has gone on to like do proper work and maybe got paid more money. But he got offered a contract as a professional footballer and I've not really seen he did anything in non-league afterwards or anything like that. It's just like he maybe just thought, yeah, I don't fancy it. Mm. And Neil Grayson, of course, became amazing until he was he finished playing at the age of 62 or 63 or whatever it was when he finally scored his last goal for Cheltenham. Yeah. Let's go through some of the, um, the listeners' suggestions. There's a few more of those. Um, David Rutt went for Eric Sabin Saban. Definitely Saban. Definitely Saban. Was Rushy that fast? I can't remember, but he was pretty, definitely very strong, wasn't he? Yeah, well, obviously my eyes do the hearts, like the heart eyes emoji. So yeah. Matthew Rush, Matthew Rush was just a cheat code player, so he was he would have been faster than everyone anyway because having him wasn't fair. Yeah, <laughs> and he hates football as well, which is just uh, yes. real brilliant. Uh, yeah, Eric Sab- Sabin, or Sabah Martin, he he was just he was maybe a bit all pace and not that great technique. Although it might be a bit 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 hard. Yeah, I think he was, he was one of them them forwards that like, used to run into the chat. He wasn't a winger. You know, wingers, I think, because you, you tend to notice the pace more because yep. they tend to run in more space. But 
Safan, I think he, he was a like a Carl Heggs type of running running into channels or running in from channels. But yeah, he was he was pretty quick, but not one of the ones that come to mind for me mm. as, as being exceptionally quick. <laughs> yeah, I just I think Eric Sabin used to be quite hard to defend because he would run in behind and stuff, and he was pretty strong on the ball. So yeah. yeah. You won't want to mark him, let's put it that way. Um, Gary, Coventry Cobbler, Terry Fleming, now we're talking. That's a proper blast from the past. Yeah. Yellow and blue striped shirt day. Yeah. I can't remember how fast he was, but he probably was rapid compared to uh, Spirit Bevan. <laughs> Wasn't he a fullback? Yeah, uh, right back, I think. I think, didn't, didn't he stop? He was a fullback when we signed him, but I think they played him centre mid a couple, a few times. As well, again, I think this year in 93, I think, when we were. Um, Hemorrhaging players, money, and everything. Uh, but he, I think he, he perhaps didn't knuckle down and um, get stuck into the training as much as others did. Um, and I'm sure he ended up out on disciplinary reasons. <laughs> mm, I think um, for says says the bloke podcasting from the Exeter one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for Slois, you know, Bayo's got to be up there for me. I know you can't really ever talk. Anything bad about the uh, the great one, but yeah, just you know, not the fastest. He was pretty fast, a bit like Gerd Muller over about a yard or two. Mm. And we did um, um, when I we going when to see first... him train up at Lingsford. I did go and I was actually in Lingsford. I think I was going swimming or something. I the confidence players came and started training on the uh, you know the the, the the sports court down the bottom. Train and it just made me laugh. They did they did the Stuart Gray and they didn't really have a, a good training. They played basketball for about twenty minutes. <laughs> half an hour by the side and they left and I was like what what what, what, what I like a lot and um, but all Bayo did was stand with his back to goal the ball came to him turn and finish and he scored about five times as many goals as anyone else but he didn't move <laughs> okay. no, I was just going to say when they when they first signed him it was um, his first game was at Gillingham or he was on it was an unused sub at Gillingham and it was a day um Daniel Jones scored a free kick for a one-nil win, and um, they after the game, they the, the unused subs used to do sort of some running and stuff. And, uh, they were just doing. Like, yeah, you, can, you, you can see where this is going, can't you? And um, they were they were just doing like sprints, like ten or twenty-yard sprints, like cone to cone, back and forwards. And they'd done sort of like what there and back once probably. And Akin Fenwell was like halfway like a le- whole length behind the other players and um jeff doyle sort of tur- he turned to me like with wide eyes and, and like looking at him he said what the bloody hell have they signed here and um and his famous last words of course because he was excellent but yeah not not a runner fair to say he came on i think for his home debut in the sub as well i remember him coming to the line and i was thinking it's pretty much the same as jeff doyle what is yeah. you know what's going on here but, you know, within a couple of games, he probably scored, and then we're like, oh, yeah, we get this. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bayo, you know, doesn't matter how fast he was, he knew where the goal was. It's a lot of I'd, I'd, I'd love us to, to the, I mean, he's probably played more games for Wickham now than he's played for us. But in American sports, the bits where people go to the Hall of Fame mm. and they wear the shirt or the cap of the team that you identify with a particular team, um, and so I remember uh, Randy Johnson, who was a six foot ten pitcher for the Mariners and Diamondbacks. He chose a Diamondbacks hat when he's inducted to the Hall of Fame, which is is right. But as Ems fans, we were like, oh, you know, if he chose us, I'd love to think when Bayo's inducted to the Hall of Fame, 
you know, or he, he would wear a cobbler's cap or in the way they do in the NFL, you sign for that club as you retire. Uh-huh. So, you, you, you re- so you, you're like, you played for a club for ages, you've gone somewhere else. You, you renounce retirement, they sign you for one day. So you just retire as one of them. I would mm. love Bayo to come back. You know, not you know, we all want him as a player when things are going wrong, but it's probably wouldn't fit with what we're doing now. But I'd love him when he announced the retirement. Say, right, I'll go back to Northampton for one day. Mm. I'm just amazed there's a guy called Randy Johnson in in, in America. In <laughs> <laughs> American slang, that sounds really dodgy, Martin. Um, <laughs> if, um, give. Uh, Give, give Bayo the freedom of the time. We'll definitely uh, turn up for that one. Let's quickly go through a few... I dare things. say Bayo would take the freedom of town when you gave it or not. He would. <laughs> there's, there's, we've had loads of good ones. Um, I want to get to some fast players because we've just been through loads of slow ones. Um, Adam Barbie has gone for... Um, Carl, these are fast ones, I should assume. Yeah, Carl Walker, obviously rapid. Mark Little, rapid. So the uh, left back... Derek Asamoah... And he put Paul Chollop, Andy Coleman, Kenny Duke, Eric Lewis. Um, Holt seems harsh. He, I thought he motored up and down pretty well. Yeah. It wasn't, didn't, look, didn't look too gainly, but... Yeah. He, nah, that's way slower. Way slower. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I agree with him. All, all the others agree with him. <laughs> uh, Ketchianya from Ashley Hardy. I, that was one of my ones, actually. Yes. A Scottish guy who was... Pretty good. I think he came from the Glenn yes. Hoddle Academy, didn't he? And he was too yeah. good for us, but very fast, wasn't he? Scottish. Yes. Mm. Went to Watford, didn't he? Yeah. The Glenn Hoddle Academy. I don't know if that's still going, but it was sort of like players that were halfway between the professional career. Didn't really get there, but he signed for us on loan or something. But he, he was he was very fast. Um, this has got to be one of the fastest for me, and he's actually joined in himself, Chris Freestone. <laughs> oh, I, I did see Chris Freestone reply to a tweet. <laughs> so legend. Was it, what was it? Someone said, yeah, I thought that Chris Freestone might have been quite quick. <laughs> yeah. Replied, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. T Ruggs, what a name. It's like his rap name. He, he tweeted us to say, Chris Freestone, was he fast or did he just look fast? And uh, Chris Freestone, uh, replied, he was definitely fast. <laughs> My favourite thing on Twitter this week. <laughs> but... Chris Freestone, always known for that West Ham game where, you know, we took him apart to the extent Sixfield. He was just on fire. That was his perfect game. But he, um, when he, when we interviewed him, he came through uh, youth athletics like quite a lot of players did, like Chris Hackett. He was a sprinter, I think. Yeah, Hackett, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm but Chris Freestone used to do youth athletics in Nottingham, where he comes from, and he used to uh, run against Andy Cole. Um the Andy Cole, and I tweeted him to say, you know, who was faster out of you and Andy Cole, who would win the race? And Chris Freestone said himself. Then, then I tweeted him, uh, what about the Premier League goal scoring record? <laughs> 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 we'll give that one to Andy Cole. But um, Jeff, you're, you're, Chris Freestone was he's just rapid, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, big fan of Freestone. Obviously, it was mentioned in that thread, wasn't there, that West Ham would be the, the game he's always synonymous with. I couldn't really think of any any truly rapid players that we've ever had, to be honest. There were some others that were nominated. Jason Crowe was always quite sharp. Josh Lowe, yeah. quite a sharp player. Hackett, definitely. But I don't, there was, I don't ever think we've ever had anyone that was genuinely, you know, rapid, a rapid player. Um, I wanted to ask um, Martin, I guess, about the, um, 
86, 87 team? Because I never saw that team. Did they have any fast players? Or was it not the game not really like that then? The only one would have been Eddie McGoldrick, um, yeah. the, the, who, who played, he became a, a centre-half and sweeper later in life. But he was a winger. But I was thinking of this as, as I was looking at stuff on Twitter. And he, was, he was quick. But I always, with wingers, you've got them two sorts. You've got the ones who put it in behind because they'll beat someone to it. Mm. And the ones who you want it to their feet because they're going to do someone. And I'm about 12, 13. I've just watched Saint Greavesy of um, of what's the rest the Eng- proper wrestling, yeah, proper many yeah. leotards, fat many leotards. That's yeah. where it's at. World of sport, yeah, brilliant. Hemel Hempstead Town Hall, that sort of venue. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've walked up to the county ground. I don't think I had the appreciation of football, but I don't recall the goals that Eddie McGoldrick set up being ones where he's he's made a run on an angle, someone's pinged it in behind, and someone comes to him. I've got him going past people, so I don't think he was that quick. Mm. And the rest of the team definitely weren't quick. They were just really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, that, there you go. That, you don't need no books in 86, 87. That's how it was. Eddie Goldrick mm. was good. The rest of them were really, really good. I've got, I've got one glaring Pacey legend we've all forgotten, sadly. Courtney Herbert. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he was quite fast, to be fair. Shift. He, he, he could shift, and it was probably his, his greatest attribute, which when he burst onto the scene, and we talked about it a little bit, there was a buzz that this guy is really good. Mm. Um, he scored, he scored one, he scored three goals for us. Yeah. Now, I can't remember the other two, but I reckon they've been down to being a quick lad up front. The one I remember was that absolute belt of outside the area where it's like, took the ball on, and put it TC against Rotherham on a, a, a night game. I've been choosing on my own Friday night. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's when I thought this player's arrived. Yeah. <laughs> not, long, not long before he like, <laughs> arrived. <laughs> I told you before, haven't I? I was um, waiting for the bus to go to a game one uh, day, and he, he ran past late. Um, and he was like, if I was getting towards the ground, he was late for the thing, and he just pelted past 100 mile an hour. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, yeah, but running make, when you're late from work. On time. Like, he could hear me because he just ran past, but yeah. Um, yeah. You drinking the beer? Against Liverpool, drink- didn't he? Against Liverpool, he, put, he, he, he really he did. He played, played really well the there, yeah. When you look at that, you look at that team, that, maybe that's a subject for another pod. Yeah. Look at look at that team that played at Liverpool. Look at 11 or, or 16. Way, way better size we've put out. There are a lot of bang average players in there that had a great night, that did really well. Yeah. And you'll never take that away. Might as well say to any scouser I know, you won't take that night in 2010 away from me. Exactly. Loads of average players. Nor Courtney Herbert. You know, we can can have a little chuckle. Maybe he didn't live up to his potential, but at least he played for his, you know, Northampton and never sat up when he played at Anfield. So, fair play. And just to give a shout out to to NN3 Pumps. Used to be a regular in the mill wheel before it closed down. Oh. RIP the mill wheel, we, we miss you. Right then, let's move on to our weekly Cobbers catch-up. This week for a handy summary and discussion of the week's action from Sixfields, I'm joined by Brendan Walsh, James Averill and Northampton Town Supporters Trust Chair Andy Roberts. It'll be a bit of a, you know, a miss to have Andy on and not talk about the big news from the week at Sixfields, literally from the redevelopment at Sixfields. So, um... Andy, I'll bring you in in a second. I'll just quickly um, run down for anyone that doesn't know 
what's been going on off, off the pitch at Sixfields. Um, this week, Western Offence Council and the club announced that the two bodies are set to discuss the club's Sixfields development proposal at a full meeting later this month. The Chronicle reported that the council received a separate bid for the adjacent land to Sixfields from property developer Sildara worth 2.5 million, but plans to reject this bid in favour of a deal with the club. Councillor Malcolm Longley, cabinet member for finance, told the Chronicle the recommendation of offers to accept the CDNL County Development Enhance Limited bid is on balance the most prudent option and therefore the intended route forward. Cobbers chairman Calvin Thomas said, we've always been very consistent on the benefits for the football club and the backing of 97.6% of our fans shows that we are not alone in this belief. The online poll left us in no doubt that the huge majority of our fans at the club were behind the proposals and we thank you all for your support. Now, Andy, quite a lot to take in there, but the, the, you know, the gist is it's quite obvious. And um, what is the supporters trust line on where the, the deal stands? It's, it's fair to say that the athletics track on, on a, a company and asset of community value land is a point of interest to you. Yeah, that's absolutely the point of interest, um, um, Tom. Our position really hasn't changed over over the, the months and probably years that we seem to have been banging on about um, six fields and the East Stand development. Luckily now things seem to be coming to a head where a, a, deci a decision might soon be, be reached. I mean, our core principle is that the asset of community value land that we have as a supporters trust at six fields, which is just under, I think, four acres um, behind the, the East Stand, if you remember, the, obviously the old athletics track land, um, that we feel as part of any deal that goes forward should be um, retained for um, future development that will directly benefit the football club and the, the wider community and, and for development to go on there, which isn't industrial warehousing, but you know there's, there are plenty of other options for that to go up around the Sixfields area. We yeah. feel there should be um, an appropriate development there which will benefit the club and the, and the community and build the asset base of Northampton Town FC. So reading between the lines, like correct me if I'm wrong, there's there's no huge opposition per se from the trust from finishing the stand to the design, which is pretty much built in from the Cardoza time, but the, the uh, asset of community value land, the athletics track land, it needs the right consideration by the, the council and the community because once it's sort of gone it's gone isn't it yeah ab absolutely well, that that whole structure would come down and you would start again from scratch and and build a um a, a good a good stand fitting you know fitting for a, a club of northampton's potential of northampton size and potential really yeah but we are where we are there. Um, we're not party to to any um, dealings that may have gone on between the the club's owners and, and and Buckingham who who put up the steel for the stand. So we're not sure what the the background is there necessarily. We are where we are, and um, I think it's come to a point. And I think you mentioned that the poll where supporters you know voted um, you know just to get the stand finished. And I think there's a weariness attached to it now. It's been dragging on for so long that people just want to get it done. And and the, and the supporters trust certainly doesn't stand in the way of, of, of that. We want to see the stand finished as well. We just hope that the councillors who make the decision give full and due consideration 
given the facts before them, that um, there is possibly a, another way of tweaking this deal that is on the table to the benefit of all parties. Okay, what, what do you make of this Sildara bid? Not that I know in particular, I'm not sure anyone knows really who they are. Um, and is there a possibility that more bids might be forthcoming from other parties? Well, it's an interesting one, um, Tom. We, were, we, we had a meeting with the, the council last night, lasted more than two hours. It was a good meeting. They listened to what we had to say. They took lots of notes. But that was the first time we heard about this rival bid from, from Sildara. Um, apparently, that's what was causing the delay. We thought the delay was being caused for the council's need to obtain what they call a red book valuation for the price of the land. But um, I'm not sure whether one has been obtained and certainly it hasn't been made public. But Sildara, we don't know too much about. We've made a, a few investigations. It appears they're a, an Irish-based company with a base in Henley and Arden. Their specialism is demolition and they are brownfield site experts. So you can see why they they probably popped in a in a bid um, for for that land at, at Sixfields. Um, whether it encourages others to do so, I don't know. We haven't got that information. But as already as has already been laid out by the council, they they still favour the initial bid by CDNL, i.e. the the NTFC owners um, bid for the land because of potential complications in pursuing other options, which may be costly. Is it true that Sildara's bid doesn't actually include, you know, the majority of the athletics track or all of it? Well, as far as we understand, their bid actually doesn't include the old athletics track area. So yeah. away from our position that we are singing from the same hymn sheet there. But we have to take a, a measured view and an open view at the moment that equally we're not sure what the Sildara bid would provide in terms of finishing the East Stand and getting that completed and getting the stadium back to four sides. So there are there are pros and cons with it. But as I say, it was new information to us and we're still taking stock of it, really. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that a, a higher bid for less land has been put in by Sildaran. It just seems that the athletics track is a, is a point of interest, point of contention with a, a potential value to the community and the club. Now, is it beyond the realms of possibility for, you know, the club just to change its line a little bit and to change its plans and be a bit more sort of accommodating of, uh, of, of you know, the trust, trust line on that and the potential to bring in income and, you know, community value to, to the athletics track, Andy? I, I would hope so, but um, uh, if you ask me honestly, I, I don't think so. I think the club feel they have a clear mandate in their view for their current plan to go forward. And as it stands at the moment, we have no indication from West Northamptonshire Council, either the leading Conservative group or the opposition parties, that um, they intend to try and tweak things. We've still got a few days to, to work on that. We hope that there may be some accommodation around that because we think that is in the best long-term interests of the football club um, that, that, that that is done. Um, but um, it's interesting, the view of the council is that, you know, they think that land behind six fields isn't probably worth that much money. All the, all the research that we've done on it suggests that at a conservative estimate, um, that land is probably worth about a million pounds an acre. So if you're talking 16, 17 acres, um, you know, um, that could be worth quite a lot of money, which um, will come through to the club. But whether that comes through as part investment benefit or is just used to wipe off the debts of the club, 
who knows? That's that's in the gift of the owners. I think the debt subject is quite important and interesting, actually. There's still no indication or no, from what I've read or seen, any uh, you know percentage indication of what percentage of the debt will be wiped out with or the, the club debt to you know um, people associated with the ownership of the club. What percentage of that debt will remain after the, the land deal? Andy, do you, do you know what that's going to be? Could there still be a debt, debt left potentially? Well, this is a great concern for us because the club is at present about six to seven million pounds in debt. We anticipate that obviously if the, the stand is built and then there's the option for the owners to buy the land for 890,000, well, that's going to add that amount onto the debt and whatever the stand costs at the moment, it was first quoted 3 million, then it went 4 million. Who knows what it will cost in the end? We won't, we won't ever get a figure, but at the end of this process, you know, the club, the debt against the club could be 10, 12 million pounds. Um, and so we would assume that any profit that comes off the land will be used um, by the owners to have that debt repaid. And, and, and many people say, well, that's a, that's a good thing. That's taking debt off the club. And um, there's a point to be made there. But we would rather there was a better balance struck between debt repayment and, and putting the club on a footing, which hopefully would make it more sustainable year on year going forward. Of course, we don't really know what debt will be left, if any, afterwards. There's something probably the club do need to clear up at some point. Um, hopefully, you want to see a club pretty much debt free, don't you, if a, a London of that size is going through. Um, James, let's bring you in here. Uh, you used to be um, on the board of the, the, the trust, if, if I'm not wrong, and, and, and not anymore. Yeah. It, it just seems important that we have a, a you know, civilised and open conversation about it. Um, I've read certain phrases, shall we say, that from the chairman, he mentioned the gender about, uh, you know, people that are questioning the deal and stuff. I think it's important James, would you not agree that given the history of the club that we can just have an open debate and discuss all sides of it rather than just one side against the other? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, heavily involved on, on the board of the Supporters Trust from cool, early kind of 2010s till I left uh, in about, was it, was it 2018, Andy, was it? I think when when, when I... Yeah. I, I, I decided I, I, it was it was time for me to kind of um, leave, and obviously been following it very closely. Yes, yeah, it is important that we have a, a you know a, a grown up um, discussion about this. Yeah. I, I think obviously the discussions have been going on far longer than than anyone would have wanted. I suppose you know reading uh, it's interesting that it, it's come down to the ACV actually now. That, that's kind of almost the, the final sticking point. I've seen a few people try and say that the trust only went for the ACV almost to act as like a block uh, to the deal, which, you know, is just absolute nonsense. I was on the board of the Supporters Trust when we first applied for the ACV. The ACV was first muted long before Kelvin uh, was ever in the picture. Yeah. There was actually a delay in the Borough Council receiving uh, the, the, the ACV bid. So I think the first bid was that someone found it on the hotel end actually was received, I think, only kind of like a few weeks after Kelvin had taken control of the club in about November 2016. It had actually been in discussion for about a year before that. And the pure, the, the whole reason for going, it was basically to protect the land. That was a very uncertain time. I, I completely think it was the right decision to do. And I would stand by that. It's interesting that it's now come down to, to, to this situation uh, now. Yeah. And um 
was just kind of wondering what the kind of strategic view is, Andy, from, from a trust point of view about how you try to convince people that you're not actually just being a, a pain in the arse here, so to speak. You're actually doing this for the benefits of the long term. And I'm just wondering kind of how you're, you're, you're going to try and convince people ahead of kind of, you know, what, what it, it seems like it's going to a chess game is already kind of being planned ahead of us for, for the next few months and you can kind of almost see where it's going I just kind of wondered what your view on that was really Andy well I think we will certainly keep our keep an open mind regarding obviously our um, ACV registration and, and see what comes forward at the at the meetings in the in the next week or so and how things shape up with the council um, my view is quite simple really um, as I say, uh, personally, and I'm sure you know, I echo board members on the trust. We have no objection to um, businessmen taking taking a risk and and wanting to be rewarded for that risk. We 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 know West Northamptonshire Council have got to get best value for council taxpayers and 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 the town. Um, all we want and all we have ever wanted is to ensure that the football club is is looked after in in any process that that goes forward. I think what we can't understand is why this site of less than four acres behind the East Stand necessarily has to be opened up and sold for potential industrial development, which are all the indications we've been getting, not, not the entire land, but having a, a warehouse, you know, halfway across the old athletics track, um, allowing for maybe a car park and um, a little bit of minor development behind the East Stand. But but not a great land footprint. We we just can't understand why land which was originally bestowed as community land for the benefit of the town and the football club um, cannot be restored and preserved as such. And we would much rather see um, something, which is why we're bringing forward this idea of a partnership infrastructure foundation. You, you know, we would much rather have you know the council, the club, and fans sit together. Say, look, this is this is land behind the football club, which can be used for the football club's benefit, which is what it was designated for historically. And and what can we better put on there, you know, whether it's a, a fan zone and the new hotel end project that we we've talked about, or a conference centre, or a hotel, or a, a training complex, or um, a social club, or an expanded club shop. You know, there are there are lots of things which are open for discussion, and um, yeah. we would like to have discussions and we would like to see something on there that benefits the football club and gives it revenue benefit going forward it's interesting isn't it because kelvin says that he doesn't consider that that was for community use and in, in that it, it did used to be the athletics track but has been out of use um for you know for, for the last few years i'm, I'm guessing that's that's something that, that, you, that the, the trust are, dispute, are disputing basically well, as I say, it was um, community land from the from the time the stadium was built in 1994. Yeah. And then, of course, um, you know, leases got um, uh, switched around, basically, you know, to accommodate the the Cardoza project, which obviously is still a running a running sore. And um, and yes, yeah, so the, the land hasn't been used for community use um, recently. The athletics track um was switched over to to molten and and is over there now but um it still doesn't get past the point that that land there behind the east stand if you're building or completing an east stand hopefully should have good ancillary facilities to go with it 
and needs the, the scope of the land to, to, to develop that, in our opinion. And that's what we would rather see rather than the land be, be sold off to you know, a private developer for industrial warehousing, which just puts another um, you know, logistic shed halfway across that, that land. Um, I just sorry, I just interject quickly. Um, obviously, we still don't know for sure what's going to be built across the athletics track. So I just need to make that point. But that's some more detail that needs to come out. Um, for me, the you can split hairs as much as you want about the athletics track being for community use. It was built at Six Fields Community Stadium, paid for by the sale of a municipal bus company. It was a community athletics track for the people of Northampton. So you know, that, the, there's two sides to that, and the one that says it's a community asset is pretty strong. Um, I've, I've got concerns about the, the stand and I'm probably a bit different in that I, I, am, I have got huge concerns of what the stand's going to be like. The council have mentioned a poetry 300 seats as a, a, an improvement in inverted commas. Um, a lot of the fans are completely disillusioned, but sometimes apathy is a bit of a, a dodgy thing, isn't it? I think that when you look at clubs like you know, uh, Peterborough, Luton, Oxford, Coventry, even Forest Green. These are clubs that if you spoke to any self-respecting Northampton fan, they would say that we're on a level land. But when you look at their plans for their stadium and their facilities, it dwarfs our 300 seats and our boxes and our car park. And we do need to take a look a few, you know, a few years down the line and then where Northampton are going to be in line with these clubs that we've already con always considered competitive. So that's one of my big worries throughout. Um, and that something that the trust even Andy needs to be, you know, sort of thoughtful of is, is, is the, the growth of the football club. Absolutely. For all the reasons you mentioned, you know, we need to be a progressive glass half full type of club, which I don't think we have been probably in, in most of our recent history. I don't think we have been and, and we need to be having these these conversations definitely and this is what we want to you know to bring forward it's ironic really we've you know the borough council and the football club have prevaricated over this land deal for for seven years you know and it's dragged on to the point that people have become apathetic disillusioned frustrated and fans just want to get the stand done um and then all of a sudden now we're we're presented with what looks to be a bit of a fire sale on behalf of the council um, and um, are, I think, squandering a very good opportunity to take stock, not just of the East Stand, but of the bigger infrastructure picture at Six Fields and have that conversation. And if that is allowed to happen, that will be a great shame and I think could be very challenging for the club in the future. We'll wrap up now. And thanks for your input, Andy. It's important to have a reasonable conversation, like I said. And I think to an extent the pandemic has prevented that because in the past you probably would have had a public meeting where people could you know to talk about their you know their feelings about it and their thoughts and maybe a bit more information has come out there's been nothing like that particularly so um, there's still some information in my opinion that, that needs to be out there for people to make an informed decision uh, but then we'll give you the last word we will say you're the optimistic cobbler is it this a uh, you know a theme a subject that you've you've looked into or are you are you more concentrating what's going on on the pitch no i mean i i try to to keep up to date with it um I think just as as any fan would, I think I, I put something out on Twitter recently as well to to kind of gauge something myself. There's a a large fan a part of the fan base, so it's almost like split in two, which is kind of pre Wilder and post Wilder. And like I'm I'm only 29, so I only started going regularly and had a season ticket 
after that season with Wilder when we're a lot of the problems with Cardoza were cleaning up. So I think you'll find like a lot of the fan base is split down the middle of like almost like inheriting this package with the and that's probably why they kind of want to just get it rid, you know, get it done. They don't really care about the plans. And I also think the average football fan, like um, you know, just doesn't doesn't understand or grow up like even even myself, like I work in a business where we go into a room and you come out of it with the situation resolved. The fact that this has carried on for so so long, of course I understand why and there's so much red tape and 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 yeah, political red tape in the way and stuff like that. But it's so frustrating and like you said, it it, it draws apathy from people that it's like we'll just get it over and done with. It. That's such a natural reaction. I like yeah. I like to think that they've thought of it with I can put my marketing head on and I can see why having boxes um allows for a bigger scope to bring money into the into the into the club right and not just in terms of extra seats that you might not uh fill if you're in league two and it's not going well on the pitch i can see why boxes and the commercial opportunities there are really good i also really like why that they've um uh, they've spared a thought for disabled fans as well because we've got some great community outreach and, and um, disabled football programs at Northampton compared to a lot of other league clubs. Yeah. And they've been like wheeled in front of the North Stand for my, for the last couple of years. So yeah. I think all of that stuff is amazing, but I do, I do have to agree that I just think there's such massive potential for like what is at the moment a, a waste site out the back of the ground. Yeah. And I don't know if these plans make the most of it. I think the stand's okay. I just would love to see like more thought exactly, you know, to, to Andy's yeah. point of view. Thank you to Andy for joining us, James and uh, Brendan for your input. And um, this will go on for a while. We'll probably be talking about it soon, but thanks a lot, guys. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Let's move on to Saturday's game at Sixfield v Colchester United. We're delighted to be joined by Jonathan Waldron, sports writer for Newsquest, who's followed Colchester United for his sins for the last 15 season and doing the match reporting. How are you doing, Jonathan? You okay? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Thanks for asking me on. Good stuff. I should say we've also got Brendan Walsh joining us. He's um, been boning up on Colu <laughs> to an extent. Um, Jonathan, how would you sum up Colchester's recent form? It's at odds with the league table, I guess. It is. And um, one of the reasons for that is that they've changed their manager over recent weeks. Um, Hayden Mullins has, has gone um, and Wayne Brown is now an interim charge of the team alongside Joe Dunn, who's a former Colchester manager, and Dave Hussey, who's come up from the academy. And uh, they've had six games in charge so far, lost one of them, and had a, a couple of decent away wins in that time as well against uh, Leighton Orient and Salford City. So considering Colchester had gone a long time without a win, I think it was seven or eight games, and had lost five in a row prior to Wayne taking over, um, the form has actually been um, a lot better over the last few weeks. They had a bit of a setback against Mansfield when they lost 2-1 last Tuesday night. And um, the the result against Carlisle United at home on Saturday was disappointing, a 2-2 draw when they were 2-1 up with with a few minutes to go. But uh, generally speaking, I think there's a bit more optimism now than there was certainly a few weeks ago. How do you assess the feeling around the place? Is relegation a real fear or is that sort of feeling that you that Colchester will get themselves out of it somehow? I think at this stage it is a, it is still a, a, a you know a serious fear really um you know they're, they're, they're only sort of five points above the relegation zone going into Saturday's game and uh you know they're looking sort of over their shoulders quite nervously at the likes of old and picking up points at the moment um 
Um, what they have got is quite a few home games in their favour. We had quite a few postponements over sort of, you know, late last year and uh, over the Christmas period. So after the Northampton game, they've actually got four home games in a row coming up and um, one of them is against Oldham. So there, there's some big games coming up for them. But uh, there is still that that worry that, you know, they might get dragged back into, into the mire, as it were. With five points as a cushion, it's not too bad, but... All it takes is them to sort of lose on Saturday and other teams below them to win. And of course, then you find yourself just above the, the relegation zone and um, teams below them within a win of sort of going above them. So, you know, there is a there is a worry, I think, um, among the fans and, and you would say probably privately at the club that, you know, that the form um, ha- has to turn around sort of very quickly, really, in order for them to sort of pull away. But having said that, you know, as I said, there, there have been positives over the last few weeks and the kind of form and the performances that they've been showing recently suggest that they are capable of getting out of trouble and moving up the table. Would you say quality-wise Colchester are relegation candidates? They seem to have a bit of individual quality in there. It seems a, su- a pr- surprise, uh, to, not a surprise considering, you know, recent seasons, but just that maybe form has a potential to, to, to keep improving? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's many people have actually said that. So looking at the squad, the, the, and you do hear a lot about sort of teams struggling towards the bottom of the table. You think, well, you know, you, you shouldn't be down there. You, you know, you're too good to, to go down and that kind of thing. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, that if you look at the squad that they've got and the, the recruitment that they had uh, in the summertime and also in, in January, um, you know, they have got a lot of quality in that squad, lots of experience, which... Um, over recent seasons before this one, um, you could probably level at Colchester and saying that, that you know the squad was too young and therefore you have lots of inconsistency, inexperience and, and, and therefore mistakes. This season it's different. You know, Colchester have recruited lots of experienced players, m- many of them from Ipswich Town up the road. Um, the likes of Luke Chambers, who uh, Northampton fans will know all about. Yeah. Also, sort of Freddie Sears and, and Cole Skews and Alan Judge and people like that who've come in and, and, and have been have been pretty good. So it's kind of sort of scratch your head a little bit and think, well, how, how are you still sort of down there? But then if you look at it statistically, you know, they haven't scored enough goals. So certainly up until sort of um, Hayden Mullins went, um, you know, goals were a real problem for them. And um, that's something that, that has improved slightly under Wayne. And, you know, they've certainly scored in every single game that he's been in charge of so far. The, the flip side of it, certainly Saturday, was that defensively, you know, they let in a couple of really soft goals and it's often a way with teams that are struggling down there that, you, you know, if you, you're sort of doing badly in one area, then sometimes it can it can kind of affect the other area of the pitch as well. And that's what's happened a bit. But uh, certainly you're right. I mean, there's a lot of quality in that squad. They should have enough to get get out of the problems they're in. And they, they have recruited very heavily in the January transfer window. I think there's 10, 10 new signings last month. So incredible amount of um, investment there. Um, and the majority of them are playing. So you'd think that, you know, eventually that will click and they'll be able to get some results um, in a, you know, in a consistent run of form, hopefully. The lack of goals made me chuckle because Northampton aren't the highest scorers from open play. We do score a few from set pieces, but um, yeah, might be a, might be a, a low scoring game on Saturday. Brendan, you're a fan generally of, you know, football league two, keep your ear to the ground. What do you make of Cole U and does it sort of resonate with, what Jonathan said? Yeah, I think John, John hit the nail on the head, really. I noticed, obviously, they had a very busy January. My, my only thing when I was looking at the squad at where they are is it was very, very ageing. I, I don't know why, like, Freddie Sears always is seared into my mind. Like, I, I always remember his goal for West Ham. I think he only ever scored one. I was like, uh, it just is, like, etched in my memory. And I always find it mad that he's at Ipswich and how old he is. But he's, I think he's, what, 32, 33 
couple yeah. of the lads that have, have come in either in January or over the summer are, you know, into their mid thirties. Like it, it feels like an experienced side, which you can say is a positive on, on, on one end, but then I'm also like, you know, what new young blood is there like pushing and everything. I don't know. You need a blend of it. We've got a good blend of it at, at Northampton and, that's the only thing I've thought looking at Colchester's team. Um, so, yeah, I think if you go on the form table and if you go on, on um, you know, what both teams are good at, uh, then it's not going to be a classic on Saturday. I think Colchester struggled to score. We struggled to score from anything but set pieces and we don't concede a lot. So, I mean, the form book would say it's 1-0, but we, we, we've slipped up against teams near the bottom of the table recently. So, who knows, really, on, on the day. But it, it doesn't... It hasn't got... Um, Barnstorm were written on it from a distance. Does it? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> Jonathan, does that fit in with your rationale of things? It's, it's an aging squad. At, um, Carl, you you probably know more about the youth players coming through, so maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it, I think Brendan's right to the point where the majority of the players in the starting lineup are of a certain age and above. But there are some good young players in that team as well. I think Brendan Weirdo, who's is a standout player for them, mid, you know, central midfielder, for, uh, signed from Charlton Athletic. He's, he's a, I think he's sort of 20, 21 years old and certainly one for the future and one that was linked with Nottingham Forest and a couple of other championship clubs in the window, stayed at Colchester and has been a regular for them. He's, he's a very talented player in midfield. Um, and Junior Chimedo, uh, the right back, is only 18 years old and another one with potential. And they've got... A couple of others as well. Noah Chilvers, who was the player of the year last season, came through the academy. Um, a, a very talented young midfielder who's actually injured at the moment, but probably would be in the starting lineup if, if he were fit. Um, and um, a young lad at left back on loan from Ipswich Town, who's, who's only sort of early 20s, Miles Kenlock. Um, so that there is there is um, a, a little sprinkling of youth in in that team. And but but you are right in saying that the majority of the players in the team uh, are experienced professionals at the moment. And it's funny, really, with Colchester because they, they've been criticised over the years for, for having too many young players and, that you, you know, you don't win anything with kids and all that sort of thing. But, you know, they, they kind of just went from one extreme to the other in the summer and have com- almost sort of completely ditched that philosophy in, in, in the sense of sort of fielding a, a majority of young players in the team and went the other way and, and signed a load of experienced players. And so far, it hasn't really worked for them. But um, as I say, I think, they're looking for that blend and it, I, I'd imagine that will come in the next few games the way that things have been progressing over the last few weeks, certainly. I've been speaking to a couple of amateur talent scouts around League Two and I've been told to look out for Aurora Edwards and Tyreek Wright. Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, these two guys are, are, are new to the scene for Colchester. They both came in on loan sort of very late in the, in the window last month. So we haven't seen too much of them yet, but... Um, what I have seen of them, and they're, they're exciting players, especially Awara Edwards. I mean, he he started last Saturday's game against Carlisle. He's on loan from Bristol City, left left side sort of a winger, and uh, he really impressed me. I mean, he's he's a very skillful player, and he's also got a lot of pace, very very fast, um, and uh, he he's one that you know really can be a match winner potentially for for Colchester. Still a bit raw and still very young and learning the game, but. Uh, uh, one for the future. And also Tariq Wright on loan from Aston Villa scored his first goal for Colchester last Saturday against Carlisle, came off the bench to score that goal. So is in the uh, running for, for a start on Saturday against Northampton. So, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't imagine both of them will start in the same team, but certainly one of them will, I'd imagine. So, um, yeah, there's they're two, two names to look out for, whether starting or coming off the bench. OK, and they're wide players, aren't they? 
both wide players, yeah. yeah. Sure, we do a feature on Wallach Twitter. We just do a match prediction and first goal score and stuff like that. Could you give us a, a heads up for who you would consider the most likely to score the first goal for Colu if that happens? Yeah, I mean, it has to be Freddie Sears, really, because Freddie is up there with, with some of League Two's top scorers. Um, he scored the winner in Colchester's win at Leighton Orient a few weeks ago and um, his all-round game is, is excellent and he seems to enjoy playing away from home in particular. Um, so I would say if you're looking at any Colchester player to score on Saturday, then Freddie certainly is, is, is the, the most likely. OK, we'll make a mental note of that for our predictions. Um, there seems to be a bit of, how would you call it, tetchiness between a certain portion of the fans and the club chairman and a little bit of a run in where the, the chairman was heard to utter, I don't want to sell the club. It's my club, not your club, which mm. in fairness to the chairman does have the potential to rub certain people up the wrong way. Is that sort of calmed down now? Is is that still simmering? What's going on? I think simmering is the right, right word there. Um, there was a lot of unhappiness and a lot of tension when that video clip sort of manifested itself on social media. And you can understand why. Um, It wasn't just Colchester United fans that picked up on it. It was fans generally across the country, actually. Um, Because as as a fan, we're all kind of in the same boat, right? You know, if a chairman or owner comes out and says something like, um, you know, it's it's my club, not your club, then, then you can kind of sympathise with the support supporters of that club really because it could be anyone uh, any any owner that says that almost um i do have a bit of sympathy for for, for robbie cowling in the sense that he was kind of uh, approached by a group of fans as he walked out of the stadium and, and sort of with, with a camera in his face and firing questions at him and i think it sounds terrible that 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 one line in isolation but he was kind of replying to one particular fan when saying that i don't think he necessarily meant it as in you know this is my club i'm going to take it it's not your sort of thing i can but i can also from from the other point of view see why fans got upset you know there'd been a bit of tension before that that particular uh, clip came out anyway between supporters and and mr cowling and one or two decisions that have been made over over the years and of course when the team is struggling on the pitch then the manager gets it or the chairman gets it and um you know the manager was getting it before Hayden Mullins went and certainly Robbie Cowling has been getting it um it's calmed down a bit lately we we haven't heard or, or seen so many kind of protests um over recent weeks and that's mainly due to the fact that Colchester have been sort of improving on the pitch and mm. also I think it may also have something to do with the fact that Wayne Brown and, and Joe Dunn are kind of club legends in charge and that's yeah. almost a sort of appeased fans a little bit but it, it, it simmering is the right w- word it hasn't gone away um and i think if you know unfortunately if colchester do have a couple of sort of bad results in a row then it will certainly sort of rear its ugly head again so yeah it's something to, to sort of keep an eye on i think probably a bit of a little lesson on today's clip culture soundbite culture you say one throwaway line it will be amplified across the media and everything so yeah just maybe need to be kept more careful with even in uh confrontational situations where, where it ends up essentially. Um, yeah. Luke Chambers, get on something more, more positive. Luke Chambers, one of Cobbler's greatest ever alumni, centre-back. I think he was born in Rawns in Northamptonshire. Was a very good player for Northampton for the short period he was here. Um, bit of a legend, Brendan. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember there was there was a lot of fans in the summer that, that wanted him to, um, to come back. And I don't know, it doesn't... It, 
it's never really been we've been the opposite of, of Colchester's approach this summer we've never really been one for signing a, a veteran at Northampton I don't know if that's something from KT's um, but the last one I can remember is Alan McCormack and then we never really played him even though he was one of the better players so I think there was a lot of fans that wanted Chambers to come back. I don't know if it was ever really on the cards, but it, it would have been nice to to have him, um, yeah, to have him around the place, I suppose. I think the mantra is once you leave Northampton, never go back, Brendan. And that, 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 <laughs> should, that should have said to you living in London. Um, Jonathan, have you seen the Luke Chambers that we saw in Northampton? Obviously not in liveness, I say. And then and, and I think he played for Forest as well in Ipswich. Um, are you still seeing the, the Luke Chambers of old, of old or are the years catching up with him now? I think Luke has actually improved as the season has gone on. I think at first it, it took a little bit of time to settle. And, and then that sounds strange for such an experienced player who's played so many games. But um, I don't think we saw the best of Luke Chambers in the opening few months of the season. And whether that was down to um, Colchester United's form in general or not, I don't know. But uh, certainly the last few months... He's really come into his own and has been the dominant player in, in defence, really, central defence for Colchester United. And we're seeing some of the evidence as to why he's had such a fantastic career, really. And, um, you know, he's stepped in as, as captain a few times for, for Colchester while Tommy Smith's been away at, um, with New Zealand and, uh, and and has really led the team brilliantly and um, scored a couple of goals here and there as well for, um, for the team. And, um, you can just just see just um, oozes class really when he's on the boys. It's just positionally very very good and um, uh, you know a great player as well to to have in the dressing room and and around the younger players that are learning. Um, you know he's, he's someone who's been there and done it and you can just tell and great guy to talk to as well and he's got so many um, great experiences um, throughout his career. So I think Colchester mm-hmm. Knight certainly seen more of Luke now and what he can do as opposed to the beginning of the season and um, you know this is probably more like the, the Luke Chambers we're expecting right now. You're certainly going to need him if there is a relegation battle ongoing he's just that that experienced head he can probably do a lot of manoeuvres on the ball or defensive manoeuvres in his sleep he's just like that experienced he's, he's pre-programmed just to to save save you at the last gasp. Um, I always, and Cobblers fans always remember Luke Chambers as like a 19, 20-year-old fresh-faced guy who was a precocious talent and just burst onto the scene and just looked really good and then just left us a little bit too soon as talented players often do. But there's a lot of affection for him at Northampton. Even if he's like 37, I'm sure there's a place for him in the coaching lineup if he's listening, if he ever comes back. But yeah, it's just nice to talk about players that play at a decent level. Um, that are ex Northampton. Let's wrap up now. We've been talking for, talking for a little bit. We always wrap up with our, you know, our match prediction. We do every week. We'll go to you, Brendan, first. We've talked a little bit, about, a little bit about it not being potentially a high-scoring game. Are you going to stick with that, or are you going to go for broke and say five all? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna play the odds here. And at the last couple of weeks, I've said one nil to the other team, and then it's gone one nil our way. So. I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick stick with that actually maybe it's it's good luck but then you look at um, you know games like Barrow and Crawley and stuff recently where if we struggle to break down a low block and they nick something then you know that that that's not um, inconceivable for us so yeah I'm going to go one nil Colchester. Oh, unlike you, Brendan. Oh, I don't like this. <laughs> I think it's the looming threat of World War Three. You're getting depressed, Brendan. Don't worry. We'll, 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 we'll sort <laughs> it. Uh, Jonathan, let's, I'm going to go last. I will say to last. That's the uh, joy of being a host. Jonathan, what would your score prediction be? Yeah, I mean, I, 
I'd like to be as optimistic as Brendan from a Colchester point of view and say a one-nil win as well. But um, I mean, in, in fairness to Colchester, you know they, they've had a couple of really good away wins recently against Leighton Orient and Salford City without conceding. Um, and actually, as I said earlier, I think you know they do look a bit more com- comfortable away from home in some respects. You know, sort of soaking up pressure if they need to, but but really good on the counter attack. And we mentioned the pace there, the likes of Edwards, people like that, Corey Andrews. So. But I have to also take into account, obviously, Northampton's form and, and how well Northampton are doing this season. So I'm going to have to sit on the fence, I'm afraid. I'm going to go for a one-all draw. Mm. Sounds reasonable. I was going to go for a one-all draw too. I'm just thinking I'm going to throw caution to the wind. It's important to know that Sean McWilliams, our talismanic Kings Heath local central midfielder, Rottweiler of a player, is going to be suspended. Concern me a little bit. I'm getting overloaded in midfield. Depends what tactics Cole, you go with, but I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and go two all. Do you know, it, it, everything is suggesting a nil-nil draw, but you never know. Sometimes yeah. the two teams are going to go hammer and tongs. Maybe your defensive mistake in there, here in there, hole in the midfield. I'm going to go two-two, and um, we can perhaps meet up or chat afterwards and chew the fat on it. But thanks a lot. Thanks for Jonathan for joining us, and hopefully it's an entertaining game. Two o'clock kickoff for everyone that uh, forget forgets that. But thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye bye. Now, as a sobering but hopeful aside, myself, Jeff and Martin are joined by Adrian Barnett in Australia to talk about the late Martin Aldridge, who played for Northampton Town between 1993 and 1995. Aldridge will forever be remembered for scoring the first ever goal at Sixfields v Barnett and that somersault celebration, which sticks in the mind. Martin Aldridge sadly passed in 2000 after a car accident, but we're going to talk to Adrian about the good times growing up with him in Daventry. Um, For me, Martin Aldridge and other young players like Mickey Bell were bright sparks in dark days at the Cobblers where the youth team used to handle a lot of the pressure. Um, Adrian, was Martin always a good player as a youngster? Yeah, certainly. Well, the the thing I always remember is that he played in the year above. So he played with me and his brother, uh, you know. So if a player, obviously because he wasn't getting challenged uh, down at the age level he was actually at, so, yeah, I think, you know, if a player can do that, I don't remember anybody else doing that. And, yeah, I mean, I certainly remember him. Uh, I certainly remember his strength. And I remember playing five-a-side with him. And he just kept running around yeah. and was always on the ball. And, you know, just just stood out as being um, definitely the, the best. I mean, I was a bit surprised when he made it. I mean, it's a surprise when anybody makes it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was wonderful when he did, like you know, a local lad, um, and and he started out. I mean, we started out at Drayton Grange. He did go on to then play for Braunston. So yeah, Drayton Grange was a new club because it was a new estate that we all lived on, um, and I'm pretty sure he's the only professional player to ever come out of that club. So that was all very nice for for us in Daventry too. What was it like growing up in Daventry in those days? I grew up in the eastern districts of Northampton, and so did Martin and. Um... When did you grow up, Jeff? Was it in Dustin? Yes, we so we we lived in Daventry until I was about five, and then we moved oh, right. to a new building in Dustin. Yeah. yeah. But the, Northampton, in, in a in a sort of a strange way, was quite a good place to grow up for a lot of kids, you know, in the eighties and you know seventies and eighties or whatever, because even you know outlying states and you know uh, places, it was just football was all we really had to do. I thought, was it the same in, in, in Daventry for you, Adrian, that, you know, there wasn't much else to do than to kick a ball around, was there? 
It was great. So the Grange estate where we grew up was a new estate. It was actually built by Birmingham Council as an overspill. So it was right. all full of Brummies, full of Villa fans. But it was actually quite well designed. It was a modern estate back then. I'm not sure how it's fared now. But yeah, there were loads of green spaces. And of course, on those green spaces, people, kids playing football until, you know, you couldn't see the ball anymore. So yeah, that's where we learned to play. And then, you know, my dad and, and a couple of other, other guys there started a football club, Drayton Grange, which is still going. Um, we had a, a pitch that, you know, made Yeovil's pitch look flat. So <laughs> it was a challenging place to learn to play. But yeah, that's where we all started. Sadly, my skills never match that of Martin's but uh, yeah you know these mass games of football with like 40 aside uh, it was it was a good place to grow up really plenty of green space uh, and quite safe you know I was, I was thinking about this morning with all the football pitches you could all walk to them but you know without crossing ridiculous major roads yeah yeah I think especially the newer states they often did provide quite well for football and let's face it kids could play a game of football anyway and even if it was a small little patch you'd, you'd find a little game on there and stuff and it was a. I'm not sure football works like that anymore with with young kids. Maybe they're all playing at goals or on the you know the cages and stuff. But you would just find some other kids playing and you'd offer them a game, wouldn't you? Or you'd like it was all pure jumpers with goalpost stuff. But um, did you sort of follow Martin's career then? I, it must have been amazing to say oh, I know that guy. You know, <laughs> just, you know he's 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 starting for Northampton now. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I was bragging about that. Um, you know, I remember even I think it was one Christmas Day. The pub must have been open and went in there and there's Martin in there drinking an orange juice because he's playing the next day. Yeah. And having a great chat with him about that. Oh, it was, it was thrilling, you know. And then, of course, I mean, when he scored that first goal at Sixfields, I mean, oh, my stars, you know, you knew then that um, whatever else he did, uh, he was going to go down in history. So, yeah, it was it was awesome for him and his family are a lovely family. So, yeah, bragging rights forever for that. <laughs> Martin, just a little bit of context of when another, you know, Martin Aldridge, namesake, uh, played for Northampton at the county ground. There were some dark days then, weren't there? And, and the youth players were lent on a lot of the time to to do the goods. But Martin Aldridge, for me, was I, I sort of looked up to him just sitting there on the cricket, standing there on the cricket side. Was it the same for you, Martin? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's often the same. You know, when when things are grim. Um, you know, your, your club and you know, we've been through a lot of that at the Cobblers. You've always got that hope of that next generation coming through, though. The, the youth players, you know, you'd read back in the day, you'd read about in the programme, you, you know, you'd read about maybe on the internet, not now. But, you know, Martin, a few others, they, they came through and yeah, and delivered, you know. Um, I think um, the comment you made earlier about the strength, it's like sometimes you think you know, younger players who are a bit weak. Know, a bit weedy and you've got some skills but well, it's out of the man's game and you know what whatever Martin Aldridge achieved he was a big he was a big strong lad and he you know he got stuck in from the off and I think fans you know supporters empathised with that it's you know you always want a player who's going to go out and give his all and it yeah. gave the impression you know being a local lad I think there's a couple of times he got left out because um, I think it, it, him and Ian Atkins that Martin Atkins at the time, I'm not sure. But even the manager would have a fallout. I need to stand amongst the away fans. And that said an awful lot. It's, um, you know, a real quality guy. And, and not like any young man who loses lose their life 
you know, it's, it's you know, it's it's too short. But I think he left us with some some great memories and went on and scored a good few goals at other clubs. Yeah, he did have a very good career elsewhere. Um, well, I'll get onto that in a second. Jeff, were you there for that first game at Sixfields? Did you, would you would get one of those hallowed golden tickets uh, for that game? I did. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I was there in the the north stand as was. We, uh, there was hopes at that time that the north stand would be the new hotel end. Sadly, was not. But yeah, it's like um, I, I guess for you, Adrian, because I always think like when a when a player comes through the youth system, there's always kind of a feeling of ownership with the fans. Like you're 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 more invested in those players because the club has developed them, and a lot of the times they've come from the local area. That must have been even more the case for you, Adrian, because you've kind of grown up with the guy. So. That must have just been amazing to see him play. And, and definitely the strength was one thing, but also, I mean, very good player technically. And I remember a moment um, where it was at Gillingham and it, you, in, I don't know if anyone remembers, the, so you were sort of on the corner on the terrace there. It was before they put that terrible open um, you know, seated stand in. And um, the ball came over. That, and te- that temporary looking thing that's still there th- yeah. 30 years later. <laughs> temporary for 30 years. Um, and the, the ball had come over, and obviously the you know League Two football, Division Three, whatever it was then, is is 100 mile an hour football. And the ball had come over, and and um, and it bounced, and the defender sort of committed himself, and then Martin Aldridge had seen that the ball had a spin on it, and it sort of spanned back over the defender and came straight, like he held his run, and it spanned like bounced and spanned and went straight back and like landed on his foot, and. Um, my uncle, who is also from Daventry, uh, said, uh, "Did you did you see did you see what he just did there?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he said, "That you know you can see that is a class player. That he was able to read the spin on the ball there. The yeah. defender, the defender, completely sold himself, and he got the ball. And I, I'll never I'll never forget that. In the same way that I'll never forget the, um, the that first goal at Sixfields, which is obviously quite a bit more well known than that that sort of two seconds of play at Gillingham that time. Yeah, but yeah." It was quite uh, uh, interesting that that day at Six Fields v Barnet, up front for Barnet was the Dougie Freeman who went on to, you know, be a brilliant player. And he, and, and he was good that game, but Martin sort of got the spoils there with that, uh, you know, that goal and that celebration, which meant so much for Cobblers fans because we'd been at the county ground and we'd seen how grotty it was. And then we just got this run spanking new stadium. And it was very fitting that he scored. Um, Adrian, obviously we, we did talk you know, briefly about Martin's sad passing and oh, goes about saying that affected his family hugely and um, his family doing okay now. You, you spoke to his brother, didn't you? And, you know, I guess it's nice to sort of reconnect in that way. Yeah, no, that was nice, actually. Yeah, Pete uh, was a, is a great guy. But yeah, no, look, I think you don't get over that. And, and Peter said, yeah, his mum, you know, with the anniversary, it's, it's never a, a great day. Um, it's always... Uh, a really sad day so yeah I, I just think um it was it was awful because yeah he was his career was far from over and, and his life was far from over you know he yeah. could have had his own family uh, as his brother does and could have continued on we, we could have had him could have had him on here chatting about you know a local lad my good um mm. his stories would have been way better than mine i'm sure <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to remember people players like Martin and people like Martin because they, you know, they, 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 
just in general, but they they put a shift in for the football club. It'd be nice to see some sort of memorial for Mayan at the, the club. Actually, if you know if anyone's from the club is listening, I think that that would be fitting. But um, yeah, looking back on those those times, I suppose they're carefree days, aren't they, Adrian? When you're you're growing up as a footballer and it just interested. I had some good footballers that grew up with me, but never made it to that level. So it's just yeah, it's nice to reminisce, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, and I mean, what we were talking about earlier, yeah, that connection, because you come from the area, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you feel that with Sean, well, I feel that with Sean McWilliams, you know, we've, we've brought mm-hmm. him up and he's a great player and you feel very connected with him. But yeah, with Martin, there was that even extra connection that I played with him and then you're paying to watch him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's very weird, you know, you're sitting there thinking, because, you know, all I wanted to ever do was be a professional footballer too, but yeah. thinking, oh, well, if, if I'd have just maybe hug out with Martin more and try to copy Martin. <laughs> Could I be on there now as well? But yeah, just, obviously just not. I mean, yeah, the, you know, the skill level and, and yeah, and we'll say again, I, this, the strength, um, yeah, was, uh, they, they really set him up. For, and, and obviously he had some great coaching and, and was picked up and, and, and was scouted and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, like I said, it's nice to, so I have these memories. What about yourself, Adrian? Uh, we'll wrap it up in a bit. It's been interesting talking to you about Martin. Um, obviously living out in Australia and uh, you keep an eye on the cobblers and stuff still? I do, yeah. Midweek games are good because I can yep. watch them live. Uh, weekend games, I will try and avoid the score, which is fairly easy in Australia because the cobblers aren't on the news. But occasionally yep. I'll t- click on Twitter and uh, I'll accidentally get the score revealed. So I sort of watch it live as you would at about eight o'clock at night and, and react to it. Like, uh, and actually the good thing about watching it as a replay is you can fast forward uh, <laughs> some of those really dull bits, which in the last game, yeah, I think I only, only took about 40 minutes to watch the whole game because that was a terrible game. You want to, say- to, be, to be fair, you could have done that with, um, with last season. <laughs> <laughs> Save that performance, Adrian, and when you have to fly over next time and you're struggling to get sleep on that long flight, just whack that performance on and you'll uh, get within 20 good, minutes. Good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think there should be an Antipodean, is that the right phrase? Um, yeah, I think it is. Uh, Cobblers Supporters Club, because we've got, a, well, according to um, our podcast uh, host, we've got a few listeners in Australia and New Zealand. Isn't your friend uh, Dr. Torpor Riley, uh, Jeff, doesn't he live in New Zealand or something? Yeah, I think he lives in, um, I want to say Plymouth in New Zealand. Um, but um, yeah, maybe... Uh... <laughs> Like, it seems weird. Like you think, or maybe you could you could meet up and talk about the cobblers. It's, it's like three thousand miles away, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's not just just have to walk over and knock on his door. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think with the internet and stuff, I reckon you should set up yeah, a uh, Australian and New Zealand supporters club. There's probably one in Tasmania or something as well. We'll find one. Uh, but yeah, we'll leave you with that. Uh, before we wrap up, is there any sort of memories of Martin or sort of like stories or anything that you can remember off the top of your head that we could? put in or do you think we've covered most of it Adrian? Uh, the funniest one is when he broke his leg and he wasn't uh, for some reason they gave him a Zimmer frame rather than crutches <laughs> so he had to walk around on a Zimmer frame and then he was at midnight mass because uh, we, we hung out we, we were at church together and he's fallen asleep he's right in the front row and he's fallen asleep like that um on the zimmer frame he was only about 10 or 11 when it happened but yeah i really remember that and i was chatting with his brother about it as well and apparently his brother peter was run over by the ambulance when the the ambulance came so yeah it was a a bit of a comedy of errors the whole thing 
So I've, I've got Hyatt a broke his a, leg, a, and then his brother got run over by the ambulance. Come on, yeah, the same ambulance. That's, right. That's class. Yeah, I think it, I think it was actually the ambulance that dropped him off. He got dropped off by an ambulance because uh, it was Christmas Eve. So I think they wanted to get him home for Christmas Eve. But it was a bad break. I think he had pins in his leg and was in, in, in bed for a long time. Oh, right. so got, as, to... as someone who was, it was brought up, brought, yeah, someone who brought up like a uh, Catholic uh, on the Eastern District, it was like yeah, midnight mass. was Mass was boring on Sunday mornings. You'd do anything to get out of it. And I'm a confirmed atheist these days. But midnight mass, Christmas, oh my your mum would take you and you'd see some characters. And I can only imagine seeing a young lad in a Zimmer frame falling over. Would not have seen out a place at the sacred art <laughs> of Western Fable. Is it the Pyramid Church, Martin? Uh, yes, that's what it's uh, more colloquially known as, yes. Amazing. The Pyramid Church of Western Fable. And I just, yeah, I just like what a very avant garde uh, building that is. Yeah, with, with, the, with the Egyptian branch, the Catholic Church. <laughs> All right, yeah, sort of makes sense. Um, we'll, we'll let um, Adrian shoot off. What time is it there, if just out of interest again, Adrian? Just started today, 20 past six here. Oh, first place. I feel sorry for you. I'm sorry even we've made you do this. No, no, I've been up for I've been up for more than an hour. Walk the dog at five. It's it's bloody stupid here. It's like bright at five o'clock in the morning. So and it's hot. So if you don't get out and do stuff now, um, Whereabouts in Australia is it, Adrian? Brisbane, so yeah, it's subtropical, so it's pretty hot. Damn you guys, you nice weather. <laughs> it's 100 miles an hour of rain well, and sleet. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's fairly tropical out here in NN3 at the moment. I mean, I'll probably go out and catch some rays before the sun goes down about 10. <laughs> well, no, I've seen weather because a mate in Daventry, his wall's blown over. So, yeah, he's been sharing me pictures of that. So, yeah, I can see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and before we let Adrian go, is there anything anyone want to you know, say about Daventry or Martin or anything, or should we just? I think it's all. I mean, it's we've mentioned that that first goal at Sixfields, haven't we? And I think that's um, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because there's something that will never be able to be taken away from him. You know, we've had yeah. there's been great players in the past that have been involved with promotions and captains of the team as well, but that's a unique achievement. That, um, that that he will have forever, and that I think that's really really special, and it, you know obviously is never going to be repeated. And it's really nice that a local player and a player that came through the academy has has the honour of that. I think that makes it really special. Mm. Yeah, well, well said, Jeff. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.